So hi, everybody. Steve Cady here at Bowling Green State University with our doctorate in organization development and change and all things that change. And uh, we um, are really fortunate to have Don uh, Warwick here with us. Uh, Don is uh, associated and affiliated with uh, our history at BGSU. We have a master's program in organization development and change, one of the oldest, if not some would say the oldest in the world. Um, we have also a new, now no longer new, uh, it's now in our fourth year, Doctorate in Organization Development and Change. We have a few people here like Dr. Jen Traxler, who is our first, one of our first graduates of the program. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's a wonderful program. Well, uh, we had the average age is, is uh, 47 years old. We have people in their 30s all the way up through their 60s and 70s, uh, people from every profession. So it's interprofessional, intergenerational, international. Uh, it's just a wonderful, diverse group of people that bring together a real passion for transforming organizations, revitalizing communities, and developing human potential through living their calling as <clears> thought <throat> leaders. And the difference between a thought leader and a subject matter expert is really about disseminating knowledge and sharing it in scalable ways so that it can help others while we sleep. I call it passive difference making, which is like passive income, making money while you sleep. This is about making a difference while you sleep, which I think I would offer is more important. And uh, it's like uh, there are people that create great meals from a recipe. We have people that are creating great recipes that are getting scaled and shared with the world to help them uh, do good work in the world. So I'm really grateful, Don, that you stay connected with us. Thank you. Uh, your your history and our work together around what is ODNC, where has it been, where is it at, where is it going, how is it evolving? Um, and, uh, I'm really glad that I get to work with you on that. So Don, thank you for taking the time to be with us today and sharing with us uh, what you have uh, prepared for us today. So I'll turn it over to you and, and take her away. Thanks, uh, Steve. And Steve is such a highly re regarded person in the field of ODC. And as some of you know from the last session, if you were in that one, uh, he just got an award at the Academy of Management for the Distinguished Educator Award. And I think, Steve, there may be only be about four or five uh, people who have had that award. So anyway, congratulations. Uh, thank you to Matt for organizing all this. And thank you for the rest of you for showing up for this. Some of you were in my uh, earlier session, and the outline that you have in the handout is somewhat similar, but slightly different than that one. And uh, so the first part of it that I talked about in that session, I'll go through fairly quickly and focus more on the latter part of this outline. But uh, first thing I wanted to tell you was I, I truly love being in this field. And I hope that you have a passion and love for this field as well. I don't know if you realize this is the only field that was designed to create healthy, high-performance organizations where people, teams, and organizations can flourish. I mean, what an honor to be involved in a field like that. I, I personally just feel blessed and I, I just feel so fortunate that I've been able to spend my uh, career in such an important field where you and I have learned the knowledge and skills to make a difference in the lives of people, 
and the lives of organizations. Uh, I mean, this is just a great field to be in. Uh, I was going to, next thing on the outline was I'd give you a brief snapshot of uh, my involvement in the field. And I actually got involved in the end of the 60s. <laughs> Not many of you um, uh, are aware that people actually lived back in those days, but I, but I actually got involved a long time ago, over 50 years ago. And, um, and I, I had been, uh, I, I had graduated with an MBA at the University of Oklahoma, and I'd been an officer in the Air Force, and I'd been with several companies as a manager. And, um, and at that time, I happened to be working on my doctorate at the University of Southern Cal and was also the manager of management development uh, for Hughes Aircraft. And I had a rather large staff most of whom were at UCLA working on a PhD with an OD specialty. And they were working with the pioneers in the field of OD. So I got connected through the people who actually worked for me, including, by the way, one of my professors at USC, who was the only one that even knew at USC what OD was at that time. And he actually reported to me but through all of that involvement, uh, I got really excited about this field and spent most of my USC doctorate actually at UCLA, <laughs> not only in their library, but getting to know a lot of these pioneers in the field. And I was just so fortunate that early on, uh, by attending a lot of the OD kind of meetings, and of course, that was early in the field, so there were wasn't a large number of pioneers to get to know, but I basically got to know and work with many of the pioneers, and I got asked to be the uh, second editor of the Academy of Management OD newsletter, so that enabled me to get connected with everybody, and then I started doing these surveys of the leaders in the field about the field, and so I, I've been the kid in a candy store for over 50 years you know, getting to see and learn from and work with all these giants I consider in the field because the field really only formally got started really in the early 60s. So so I was sort of the second generation group and, and I, I would consider myself exactly the same today. I'm just a kid in a candy store uh, getting to work with so many just great people that are just fun to be around and, and and inspiring and and uh not just the pioneers but the 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 newcomers like this the steve katie's i mean it's just a great field to be in so the next thing i had on there was the need for odc well i can you think of a field where there's a greater need in today's times for this field i mean we live in times of dynamic uh unparalleled non-stop unpredictable change and fierce competition so you put those two together and there there could not have been a more important time for a field like ours the problem however is that while we need organizations today that can flourish in times of dynamic change and fierce competition 
there in fact really aren't many like that. Uh, you probably know the statistic that's been validated by the way in many ways that about 70% or more of organization changes fail. Uh, and, and by the way, that's that pretty well parallels what I think has been discovered from research I've seen about the organizations that actually pay attention to what we teach, whether we're involved or they just do it uh, by common sense, where they have a clear vision, mission, goals, uh, purposeful and meaningful work, and they build cultures where people can flourish, you know, where they actually are trying to do the things that we teach them to do. And that at best is maybe 20 per, to 30% of organizations, according to numerous studies that I've seen, uh, some by the Gallup organization, you know, that, that surveys hundreds of thousands of people and tens of thousands of organizations. And so the reality is that we're in a great position with what we know and can bring to the table but there are very few organizations that either are aware of or are practicing what we know. And by the way, all the pressures are against what we teach. Um, what we've learned about organizations, and I think an important theme in what we do, is, is what I call a people performance balance, where organizations have discovered they not only have to focus on getting great results, but on building great organizations. That in essence, by the way, is what our field is about. Um, building great organizations that get great results. You can say it many ways, and I'll show you in the original definition of OD, it was there. It was called healthy, effective organizations. So call it what you will. It's about uh, building organizations where people can flourish, and organizations that are effective and get great results. That's basically what we do. And the fact is that the pressures are so heavy on the results side, the performance side, that even the well-intended forget about the people side and building the organization. So what we have today uh, literally is organizations built on a weak foundation. Uh, many years ago, I wrote this article titled The Illusion of Doing Well While the Organization is Regressing. And I discovered in working with many organizations that the leaders often were out of touch with what's going on in their organization because they're so focused on performance. And especially if they were doing really well, they had this illusion that the organization must be doing well. Then when you do what we do and you do assessments and you talk to people in the organization, and you find out the organization is unraveling and people are discouraged and demotivated and frustrated and so on. So, so we've got a real mission in today's times because people are gonna be preoccupied with performance and we've got to remind them to focus on building the organization, building the foundation so that they can achieve and sustain the kind of results they hope to get. So then the next thing on here was uh, understanding the O in OD and the name, uh, the new name, ODC. Well, just going back to our original name, I, I, I think our pioneers uh, were just really brilliant. You know, when I think about what they created early on in the beginning of the field, it's pretty well lasted uh, throughout the years, even to today's times. But think about creating a field called organization development.
element. So the O has changed in how we see that. Uh, it used to mean whole organizations. And in the early years of OD, that was the focus. But it really evolved to meaning any level of an organization. In what, other words, when you, you, you and I use the word organization, it can mean the whole organization, department, teams, uh, the individual in it, and so on. And so our field has evolved from focusing mostly on whole organization development and change to a focus on change at many levels. Reality is that you and I very seldom really get to change a whole organization. <laughs> that even in my, my career, and I'm sure Steve's and many of the rest of your careers, you've rarely had that opportunity. But you may have an opportunity to change a whole department, a whole team, uh, any group of people, a whole family, a whole symphony, a, a whole sports group. Um, so that organization now has a much broader meaning than it had originally. And then, of course, that word development, that's what we're all about, developing organizations, teams, individuals, so they, they can perform at their best in a healthy kind of uh, environment. And then this the C part of it, um, which is in your doctorate program, that actually came about in about 1989 or so. And the reason I know this is the people that were involved um, and a, a number of us who were department chairs of the OD division of the Academy of Management uh, were involved in discussing the field. And frankly, they'd kind of forgotten about when this the C came into the picture. And it was actually 1989 when Gene Bartunek was the, the uh, division chair of the OD division. And they began to talk about changing the name. And then it got changed when Robert Quinn in 1990 was the division chair. And frankly, they even had forgotten this. And so we, we created this sort of uh, barrage of letters flying back and forth between us and to kind of capture that history. That was a historic event. And it's been sort of lost in the history of OD because very few people, even the ones who created it, really know that much about it. So we added to organization development the word change because so much of what we have always done in the field is about managing change. And that's a significant contribution. You think about the contribution of even focusing on O and D. Uh, by the way, uh, I... Practically, a lot of that started um, in a different kind of way uh, in the early 80s with Tom Peters when he wrote the book In Search of Excellence. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? And that's really one of the first times we started thinking about the job of a leader is actually to build an excellent organization. It's not just to get results. And that fit right into our field of what we're there and, and what we do everything about. But so much of it is about change. And a major contribution we've made is the whole issue of managing change. Uh, I have an article coming out in uh, Business Horizons, and, and it's titled Revisiting, Revis Revisiting Resistance to Change and How to Manage It. And I don't think many people in the field realize that most of what we learned about managing change actually came from research on resistance to change. And it turns out the same things you do to manage resistance 
are the same things you do to manage change. But that became a more and more important part of our field. And you, you, you may want to know that uh, even that is not all, always accepted by everybody in the field. Uh, when they renamed the journal, you know, the Organization Development Practitioner to Organization Development Review, uh, I had proposed <laughs> that, that it, the new one be called Organization Development and Change Review. And there was a lot of opposition to that because uh, some others felt like change really wasn't that important anymore and they won out. So it's only called the Organization Development Review, but change is a major contribution to what we do. And if you ever read the research of Robert Golombuski, a lot of people had missed this. He was the one that wrote a lot about the success of change, not the failure. So while we're predicting a 70% failure rate, he basically said, if you manage change right, you get a 70% or more success rate. And so this whole introduction of change and how to manage it in times of dynamic change is such an important uh, contribution. Now, we now we get down to the heart of what OD is and what's the purpose of it. And this is critical. You and I need to be on a mission. I mean, we're in a called out field where we have a mission to develop organizations that are healthy and effective. Now, that's our purpose. And a lot of people have sort of forgotten that. There's so many things you can do in the field of ODC that you kind of lose sight of why you're actually there. Everything you and I do should really be focused on that. How do you improve the healthiness and the effectiveness of the whole organization, of departments, of teams, of the culture in which people operate? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're about. Early on, the focus was on healthiness and process, and we had kind of forgotten about results and performance. And, and so some of us kind of lost, or some lost the way early on, and we got in disfavor to some degree because we were so process-oriented. Uh, by the way, I was taken to task, and I, I will say by uh, one of the persons I admire the most, Edgar Schein, <laughs> and because, you know, he writes about process. He's all about process. And I started writing about the need for results, and he kind of took me to task. But I think that's really where we become impactful and really add value is when we can build, help build organizations that are healthy places where people can flourish and the cultures bring out the best in people and we help them get better results where they have a clear vision mission goals uh they're structured for results and all those kind of things are critical as well as just building these healthy places to work now uh, i, I want to take you back to the original definition of od which was uh developed by uh, Richard Becker. And this is where this focus actually was first proposed. And here's what he said. This is in 1969. OD is an effort planned organization-wide and managed from the top to increase the organizational effectiveness and health. 
through planned interventions in the organization's processes using behavioral science knowledge. Now, some of this has changed. Um, remember that it used to be whole organizations. Now it could be any level of the organization. It was top down. Now it's top down, bottom up together. Um, it, it's not just about leaders making decisions and passing them down. Um, there's a lot of dialogue about is OD really planned? I don't, I frankly don't get that. When I, I mean, yes, it's a dynamic process and you have to change your plans and adapt and all that, but that's one of our contributions. We plan how to change things and build these healthy, high performance organizations. I, I can't imagine doing that with no plan, even though you have to change it all the time. So Richard Beckard created the early focus of OD, and, and I think that personally, that's what it's all about. Now, um, by the way, um, would anyone like to comment on that just briefly? Uh, I, I'm What I'm suggesting is the real focus of OD is healthiness and effectiveness. You're building these organizations where people, teams, and organizations can flourish, great organizations that get great results. Anybody want to just comment on that? Maybe you may have a different perspective. Yeah, go ahead. Just anybody. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Ward. Dr. Ward. Yes. Alaska. Um, I really love what I'm hearing so far about um, balancing it with results and people. But I'm wondering when, how do you define healthiness? Because depending on the organization, if you're in government versus industry, that might be different and bureaucratic systems are not always set up for collaboration per se. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts around that. Yeah, well, that, I think that's why we use the word organization. It applies to any kind of organization. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's universal. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a whole company, a government organization, a family. Uh, that's what's so great about this field. What we've learned and the principles we practice really apply to any type of organization, group, um, you know, yeah. it applies Don, to a, yeah. anything. Yeah, Don, I have a question that, that I think relates to Inez's question that I think she might be getting at the heart of it is when you talk about a healthy organization, how do you help an organization identify what they believe healthy means so that they can focus on more than maybe performance? Like, is there is there a story or a way in which you... Yeah clarify what healthy means. Yeah, you bet. Um, first, here's what I tell them. If you can define it, you can build it. And so that, you're right, Steve, that's where you got to start. You got to define it. What does it look like? And so what I say is what we need is some people to look at a variety of information about best run organizations. And then we get, we need to get together and by the way, I would say this to a whole company, you know, if it's the company leaders or the government leaders or department or a team, I would tell them the same thing. If you can define it, you can build it. So let's first explore, you know, what the best are doing. And then let's agree together what it would look like if we were an excellent, healthy, high performance organization, department, team, family, sports group symphony, you know, what, whatever the target might be. So, so what we 
bring is, you know, we bring some knowledge about what the best do. Um, and we can contribute that in their thinking, but ultimately the builders have to do the defining. We, we can't really define it for them. And if they can, if they can define it, we can help them build it. it it's, you know, we, we try to make things way too complex and best leaders, the best practitioners of OD keep things pretty simple and focused. I think I, I said uh, in the last session, when people ask me what I do for a living, I, I say, I'm a specialist in state-of-the-art common sense. <laughs> and, and that pretty well sums it up. You know, I, I don't really have any rocket science or anything like that, but I'm pretty much a student of best practices and common sense. And knowing that common sense is not so common, you know, I try to portray that in a way that people begin to understand it. And, and Don, could you reflect a little bit on, on the notion of organization and, commu and community in the sense that I think how the field has evolved is there's people that work in communities, people that work in organizations. And, and could you talk a little bit about how you think of community and organization? I, well, I, I don't really see a difference in a sense. I mean, a community is just one type of organization whether it's small or large. Um, that's, that's why I love the word. I mean, I, I think our, our founders were geniuses, organization development, because that word organization applies to anything. Yeah, and, and Alan was asking about this, one of the folks out there, and I think one way of thinking about it is how it's called coupling, how loosely or tightly coupled the organization is. And communities are less, less coupled, like a community has yeah. many organizations that don't have to work together but they might choose to. And so people working in community are trying to get these groups to kind of have a reason to want to collaborate and engage as they work on the community where an organization has more formal structures. So it's more tightly coupled versus more loosely coupled. And, and I think OD works in both, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, and you know, I like to say that one of our major contributions in this field is the importance of knowing reality before you deal with reality. So we have to define what the group is, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and that can be all over the place. It's, it's different working with, in quote, a community versus a company that's a little more well-defined, but so what? Principles are the same for making them great and building healthy uh, organizations that get great results so i again i i think the 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 founders really did quite a good job in defining this field yeah. uh, they were more focused really than we seem to have been as we keep adding things to the field and kind of lose sight of what it's all about yeah did you want to take time for them to go into small groups or do you want to share a little bit more before we well I, I i want to hit some other things real quickly before okay. we put them in groups. I think you said I had it, what, an hour maybe? Yep, yep, we did. So, so some things, went, so I'll go through this a little faster. So, so we that's the, the, we have time. That's purpose. And then uh, I talk about uh, who's this field really for? And sometimes, you know, when you use all the big terms we use in ODC, it can be sort of overwhelming, but really, 
my mission is to take this field not just to change agents, and that would be professionals like most everybody out there, where this is your field. You're, you've got a master's in it. You're getting a doctorate in it. You're, this is your area of expertise. And that's what I define as a change agent who's a real professional in the field. But frankly, I think it's maybe even more important that we take the field to leaders and then anyone in an organization who wants to champion change. And so I, I think we sort of missed the mark when we focus so much on professionals and practitioners. Uh, part of my mission is to take it to leaders. I mean, is there any field that leaders should be better trained in than ODC? <laughs> I mean, what do they need to know for today's times? Mostly what we have to offer. And so a lot of my writings have been about taking this field to leaders and to what I call change champions. And that could be anybody at any level who's willing to initiate or facilitate change. And we can teach them the fundamentals at the leadership level, the, the any level, that they need to know to significantly improve the success of planning, implementing, and sustaining changes. And so, you know, a lot of my writings have been about this. I created this term called change champions. And, uh, and the idea was we need to develop change champions throughout the organization at all levels so that when we manage change, you know, they can contribute good thinking about how to plan changes, how to implement them, how to make them last. And imagine the difference that would make in an organization if you had the leaders who are well-trained in, in the fundamentals, not all the details, but the fundamentals of OD and the change, you had change champions spread throughout the organization can you imagine what that would contribute to the success of an organization in today's times? I mean, it literally could make the difference between success and failure. So I think we need to take our message a lot further than maybe we have in the future. And uh, I, I don't care what you do or what level you're at, whether you're a student of ODC or not, the fundamentals are valuable to just about anybody. Now, I've uh, on on the next part, I uh, I label it be building a framework for understanding and practicing ODC, and so I'm what I'm saying to you and me is these three things are really critical to practicing and being educated in this field. First, you need a, a mission statement. You know, what what's your purpose? I uh, my mission pretty clear. You know, I keep it in front of me all the time educating people on the value and practice of ODC and helping make the field understandable from a practical perspective. That's what I'm all about. And then I have a second one, and that's making ODC fundamental knowledge and skills, essential knowledge for leaders and change champions. So that keeps me really focused. Then you need a definition of, of OD. And I've in the handout, you'll see one that I've provided. And that came, by the way, from surveys I did of uh, the top people in the field. And, and it started, by the way, uh, with the founders. Uh, in my original study, Richard Beckard, Robert Blake, Warner Burke, Wendell French, Larry Greider, Gordon Lippitt, Jay Lorsch, Craig Lundberg, Jane Mouton, 
Edgar Schein, Robert Tan. I mean, these are the people that were contributing their ideas on what ODC was. And then I surveyed again, um, and this was, by the way, in 1978, in 2003, and, you know, Tom Cummings and a lot of the newer people, David Cooper Ryder, Virginia Schein, uh, Peter Sorensen, you know, a lot of these uh, people that you read about were all involved in these studies. And so I took it and then used uh, the definition that you see in the handout. And I, I won't go through all that since we don't have a lot of time, but you may want to read through it because that's at least the way that I see OD after uh, looking at all the information that was provided from the leaders in the field. But basically, you know, it's a planned and collaborative process. Those, those two words are so key that we actually plan the way we build organizations and, and make changes. And we collaborate in the process. So it isn't just leaders making decision and passing them down and people carrying them out and it making no sense. We involve and engage the key people in the process. And it's a process of understanding. That's the assessment part of our field developing the building and then changing organizations with the purpose of health effectiveness and self-renewing capabilities. I added that last part because a lot of what we do is involve and engage people in figuring out how to improve things, make things better, plan for the future and so on. So what I'm saying is you need your own definition. And uh, the other part of it is you, you need a change model. Now, if I can just go through this very quickly, and then I'm going to I'm going to go over the rest of it real fast, so we'll have plenty of time to uh, dialogue. But everything that you do is really based on some image in your head of change and how you make change work. Now, everybody knows the original change model came from who? Kurt Lewin, <laughs> and he said it was all about unfreezing movement and refreezing three stages of change now by the way we've learned since well it's a great model you know it isn't always just about unfreezing it's also about doing new and better things better ways um the movement you know that fits okay it's not just about refreezing it's certainly about sustaining but just about the time we sustain something it has to be changed again so you know, there are different terms that are used today, like present state, movement, future state. Um, I have a model in here that I developed, and I call it preparation, implementation, transition. So you prepare people for change and organizations, and I have steps for doing that in that model. You in, implement it with planned change with built-in feedback mechanisms so you know if things are going right or wrong. Do you realize that uh, most changes don't really have built-in feedback mechanisms? And I, I've had organizations where two to three later years later, after initiating a change, they found out it was a disaster, but they had no feedback mechanisms. And so they had no way to really know to, to make needed changes. And then the transition is really about uh, sustaining it. So you can go back and look at that model. Now, I put a model that those of you that attended the first session didn't see, uh, because I want you to see the value of this model in that I think it, it goes far beyond just OD. 
So I, I have a little model in there that's called uh, changing human behavior. And my point is, it's no different than changing organization behavior. I mean, if you want to change human behavior, there are three stages. There's a cognitive stage where you make people aware, uh, you get them committed to change, and, and you come up with a plan for changing. There's a behavioral stage where you actually practice new behaviors until they become habits or a sustained or normal way to behave. And by the way, if you understand that, that's, a, that's an odish, reality-based approach to change. So it really doesn't matter how you got the way you are, why you do what you do, whose fault it is, how justified you are in doing what you're doing. If we can get you to face reality, and that's a lot of what we do in OD, make you aware and get you committed to a new way of behaving. If you will practice new behaviors, and the research indicates somewhere around three to four to eight weeks, your new behavior is likely to become a habit. Change is far more manageable than we ever thought possible with individuals and all through, so with organizations. So you, you, know, you, you may have your own way of doing things. That's why I want you to come up with a change model because you are in essence, however you approach OD or working with people using some model in your mind about change. So, uh, quickly, just some other things to put in your mind. Um, and the next thing is uh, key contributions. Now, I, I put in there some of the key contributions that we've made in OD. I don't think a lot of people realize what a difference that we've made. Part of the problem with our field is we've been so successful at introducing principles that are now practiced worldwide that they've lost sight of the fact that it comes from ODC. You know, like management of change has been captured by all kinds of disciplines. Um, so you, you can look at some of these concepts in here. What, what I would uh, ask you, what would you add to the list? If you were just looking at Roman numeral eight and says key ODC contributions that are critical to know, uh, what, what would you add to the list? You know, there are things like... Um, um, Action research and appreciative inquiry, the critical role of culture, systems thinking, uh, processes is important. Uh, you know how we do things is as important as what we do. Um, you, you know, you see the list. What would you add to that list? I, I wouldn't, by any means, think my list is complete. What would you add to it? Just anybody. Just call something off. Anybody? You surely there's some clarity things. maps. Clarity maps. Okay. All right. Barry Johnson. Okay. And op what open it? space. I, I'm not looking at your list, but I don't know if open space is listed. That it's not. Good. So that's another good one. Yeah. Um, user experience. Other ones. What is it? User experience design, design thinking. Okay. Yep. UX. Okay. By the way, another one I left off was values. I mean, think of the contribution we've made to organizations having clear-cut values that begin to shape their culture. Okay, now, quickly, I'll hit these last things and just open up for questions. So last time we talked a lot about change through being and doing, and here's my point. I, I'm beginning to realize more and more that we, 
you know, we're taught to change things by doing. You learn all kinds of skills in ODC to change things. What you probably don't realize, you may cause even more change by being, just being the person that you are. And so I, I think it's really a responsibility of OD people to be uplifting, positive people to be around. That by the way that we are, we're affecting the people around us, the leaders we work with, and so on. And so this is something that Francis Baldwin, who you probably get to work with, you know, feel strongly about. Uh, and that, that is so critical. And boy, I, I have so many stories about how people have caused change just by the way that they are. Um, the tyranny of the or, um, a lot of the controversy in our field early on was about whether we're fixing or building. And particularly when appreciative inquiry came along and it was more about a positive approach to change, they, I think, maybe falsely criticized OD for being just about fixing. I mean, I thought OD was always about both of these, fixing and building, but it is important that you realize we're not just about fixing things. We don't just find out what's going on and then fix what's broken. We're probably even more about building things, you know, finding out what's possible and figuring out a way to do it. Um, the need for change champions, I already talked about that. The importance of integrating transformational leadership in ODC. This is another thing I've written a lot about. And here, here's what I discovered. I don't know if you've studied transformational leadership, but they are really good on presenting what leaders need to do to prepare and guide organizations in change. What they left out, interesting, was part of their title, transformational leadership. They have almost nothing about how to transform things or manage change. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? So what I'm saying is transformational leadership is a key part of change. If you, you can develop transformational leaders and teach them what we do, manage change and transform organizations. So three skills, leadership, managing change, transforming organizations. If you could even do that just with a top person, it would transform an organization. But if you can teach this of leaders throughout the organization, you can imagine the impact. Now, last thing, um, I think really one of our major jobs today is to passionately get the message across that organizations need to become skilled in managing change. In other words, this needs to be a major skill set that they focus on. And one of the fastest ways to do it is to agree on some guidelines for managing change that everybody throughout the organization has before them, a one-page kind of thing that they just use in thinking through changes. And I've uh, included in the handout uh, a list of guidelines, at least one list. But if, if you want to do something, I'll have a powerful impact on your organization, get them to agree on some guidelines for managing change. Keep it simple. And it's not a set of rules, but guidelines and get them to practice it. Then have sessions periodically where you share ideas about managing change and what you learned to do and not do. Um, and you, you'll see some ways on here to actually begin to build these change-ready organizations. Okay, I'm going to stop, Steve. <laughs> and by the way, thank you for bearing with me. That's, you know, I tried to pack 50 years into about 
30 or 45 minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, and uh, it, probably didn't do a real good it job. It was like 40, that, 40 seconds a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, that's you a, know that's, what a great insight. This is not the only time we can talk about this. This is a beat. This is opening the conversation. We'll, we'll take slices and so forth. We're going to do here as we wrap up, I'm going to do uh, something with you all that will help inform us as we do these symposia in the future and have Don come back and share and others um, come back and share, like have Dave come back and share his stories about uh, his work with Peter Vale and his work on, on practice, and which I think is really important. So there's a lot. We have wonderful people that are willing to share. So here's what I'd like to do. So Don, I have a question I want you to think about, and then I'm okay. going to talk to the audience and have them type into the chat and answer to a question using what I call chatterfall, which means you type the answer, but you don't hit enter. And then <laughs> as, I, as I have them doing that, I want you to think about this question and then we'll kick off with wrapping up with you answering the question. And then I'll look in the chat and maybe pose a few as we wrap up. So here's my question for you. Uh, and, and it's really one that you probably can share more at the next webinar as well that we do with you. What is your what is the one story in your work over all the years that gave you hope and belief in humanity? Uh, in your ODNC work, is there a story that it gave you hope and it, it helped you have belief in 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 humanity? What is what is that one story that might pop to mind? There's probably many. For everybody out there, I'd love for you to in the chat uh, before you go. Um, I'd love for you to share, and don't hit enter, uh, what is your one takeaway, your bumper sticker that you want to remember today? You're going to write it down, and I'd invite you to write it down, put it up on the wall. This is one thing I want to remember. We, we can surround ourselves with tangible words that remind us of what we want more of. What's that bumper sticker that you want to remind yourself of from today? And second, what are you curious about as you leave? What are you curious about? And so I'd like you to think about those two. Answer that in two sentences, one sentence for each. Um, put it in the chat. Don't hit enter. And um, Don, um, as you think about that story, is there one that you know that you'd love to share with us? I I had it. I got called in to uh, work with an organization where the founder uh, was somewhat of a tyrant, and his wife actually happened to be chairman of the board, and she's she was the one who brought me in. <laughs> and he was not happy about this whole process. And uh, and he he was such a tyrant that they had a uh, the the corporate offices and then they had a manufacturing area. And when he headed towards the manufacturing area, they they had an agreement. People called forward to warn the people out there that he was coming. And literally, you know, people would run and hide and try to avoid him. Uh, and and in, in the process, through the training, uh, working with his leadership team, assessing the organization, so he actually saw reality about what was going on. He was stunned. I mean, literally stunned when he saw that people were fearful of him. The culture was a toxic culture out there. Um, I, I in fact, I had this one model that I developed called problem solvers resistors and hardcore resistors and he was clearly labeled as a hardcore resistor to really tormented people and so on and uh 
I, I literally, as I went through the results and showed them to him, saw tears coming down his eyes. And uh, he was motivated to do something about it. And he called all 500 employees together and stood before them with tears coming down his cheek saying, we're going to change. And so we step by step now with his leadership begin to change that whole organization. So when you talk about hope and what we do, basically, Steve, not only did he change, he changed an entire company. And by the way, probably saved his marriage <laughs> along the way. And we became uh, lifelong friends. In fact, he's even, uh, we had this outreach to cadets from the Air Force Academy, and he liked to come visit us and talk to the cadets and um, different person. That's awesome. Thank you. And for everybody out there, if you could hit enter. Bang. So, so as is, um, I'm going to ask uh, Matt to look across the uh, the comments. Is there a theme or something that you see? One last question in that story, Don. I'm I'm curious. Um, there's a paradigm shift that happens in the person internally at the in the head, heart, and spirit, but at, at a real deep level, you know. And when we talk about our work in this world, we got to do our work first in order to do the work that's work out in the world. Yet we got to have the outward world experience to trigger us to do our inward work, right? He couldn't have done that inner work without having that outer experience, right? So where do we start? Do we start with our inner work in order to do the outward work? We can't. We have to get started and just be willing to start and try. But if our heart is in a place, if our head and heart and spirit is in a place of wanting to do good, yes, we'll make mistakes. But we got to have that outward jump in, get started to have the context or the fodder, if you will, to create, create conditions to do the inner work. Could you say, what was the moment that triggered his heart to change and soften? Was there, a, as you were talking, what, what do you think it was? The, you, you know, remember, you, you actually said it well, Steve, that we're trying to reach the head and the heart. And if you don't reach both, it's really hard to motivate change. And so we provide all kinds of assessment information and so on, but we also share with them. And I, so I was sharing with him what I heard from employees. And by the way, he, he was so angry at first. We, we had a meeting in, a, in an embassy suite. You know how they're teared up and we were on about the fifth level. I literally, we were standing by the rails. I thought he was going to throw me over the, the rail. That's how serious this got. But then, um, when I began to talk about what I'd heard from his family, it, it finally reached his heart. And, and I told him how he was affecting the people out there you know, in a kind way, but being truthful with them. And it finally got his heart. So I, I don't know that you can ever predict that, but you need to realize we're trying to reach both. So with all that you do, you try to reach the head and the heart. And if it eventually clicks, you've probably got somebody who's going to make change happen. Yeah, and I would offer that all these techniques, you, you, there's a lot of little things you did and how you collected the data, how you put it together, how you shared it back with them. The space you were in, we talk use of self, and, and, the, and the energetic space you were in, not in a place of attacking or of shaming, but in a place of, of presenting the data in a way that you hope mm -hmm. that he could receive it and teeing it up and, and framing it. All of these techniques, all of this stuff is the art of doing this work. 
And I think that's where Dave Fearon's work around practice and the art of practice comes in. And, 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 and we talk about um, with Francis Baldwin's work around presence and around so forth. And we got Jen Traxler's work around use of self and so forth. So I think it's really important for us to be mindful of that. This is an art and we can put ourselves out there. We can follow the discipline, the steps. And let me tell you all, for those of you that are sort of still exploring this, follow the steps, do the process. It might feel clunky. If someone shows you a series of steps, try it. And it will hopefully, you'll, you'll, you won't do it perfect, but it'll be better than if you don't because the OD processes have inherently built in them humanistic uh, values. And so go ahead and try the process. It may not make sense, but as you go and get wiser and wiser, you'll be more intuitively able to blend and make things happen, which is really kind of cool. Um, but so I think way, that, yeah. Just a quick comment on that. Early on, OD was fairly confrontive, you know, almost contentious. And that was seen as a good thing. You know, we've learned since, especially through the work of uh, Ann Edmondson out of Harvard, who does the psychological safety work, I mean, you're much better off than than uh, belittling people, confronting them, you know, setting up a conflict situation. You're, you're much better off to treat people with value and respect and create a safe environment for open, candid dialogue. And so right. I think that's one of the things in OD that we've really evolved with. And I don't think people should confuse uh, healthy boundaries with tyranny. As an OD consultant, when you get out there and you set healthy boundaries with your leadership or leaders set healthy boundaries around accountability and speaking truthfully, it's doing it from a place of understanding facts, feelings, and judgments. It's done from a place where you have to set healthy boundaries. And sometimes people will confuse a tough message with tyranny. And so it's understanding how to balance those two, I think, as well. Well said. So, Matt, as we wrap up, any any themes from the chat? So a, we had a lot of good input there. I wrote down after kind of scanning through a bunch of them, change is a constant and a common thread through all organizations. And we need to be real with where we are as an organization and not just where leadership is, because you made a good point about leadership, um, thinking they're in a place that the whole organization is not. So then taking that and saying, um, how can we increase leadership skill in managing change? And so that time to be a common thread through everyone's comments hmm. as far as change management. Don, any closing words? Oh, just um, be thankful you're in a field where you can make a difference. I mean, what a way to spend a career. You know, a lot of a lot of people in a lifetime don't have that many experiences where they really are having an impact or making a difference. And we, we can do that almost every day by being and also by doing. Uh, you're learning skills that not many people really have that can really make a difference. So uh, I, I hope like you, you consider it an honor to be in this field. Thank you, Don. And more to come. You all will get to see Don. Let's all give him a round of applause. Thank you, Don. Thanks for your time. We'll the conversation will continue. We're very grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for your just for your doing and being with me. And for everybody out there from Bowling Green State University, our DOD, DODC uh, symposia series, or all things change, 
Thank you for being here today. More to come. Bye for now.